And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man in front you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to The Bickersons, starring Lou Parker and Francis Langford from 1951. Then it's a thrilling mystery on The Chase from 1952. By my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? How are you, Carl? Good. We have Mike Costello over here, our executive producer as well. Hello. And uh, last time we began listening to a very funny episode of The Bickersons. They were going on vacation. Let's go back to July 10th, 1951. Here's the conclusion to The Bickersons. Dishes on the sink, Blanche. You can wash them after you make the coffee. All right, Gloria. Well, how did John like the idea of renting our cottage? Haven't told him yet. Let's go tell him. John, take that vacuum cleaner off the table. You're sucking up the sauerkraut. <laughs> Just trying to show Leo how it picks up breadcrumbs. I'm convinced. Now, I suppose you folks are anxious to see the rest of the house. Not particularly. Now, this cleaner has a... Come on, I'll show you around. You'll love the bathroom. It's just a short way down the road. (laughs) Well, John, what do you think of my place? Lots of insects, huh? Oh, just mosquitoes. But when the rain stops, they go outside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, John, they don't build places like this anymore. This interior is solid beaver board. Where's the wall plug? I'd like to show you how this oh, thing works. Oh, no, please, please, Bickerson, not again. You're acting like a man that's trying to sell me a vacuum cleaner. Huh? You're a little late, old man. Last Friday, your brother-in-law sold me one wholesale. He did? Wait here a minute, Leo. Blanche! Blanche! What's wrong, John? Where did Bonnie get a vacuum cleaner? He borrowed ours last Thursday. Why? He sold it to Leo on Friday. (laughs) Wonderful. Are you going to give him a commission? I'm going to fracture his skull. (laughs) Blanche, why did you tell me that Goosebys needed a vacuum cleaner? Well, it was the only way I could get you up here. What did I want to get up here for? John, I just wanted you to see the place. We're going to rent it for a week. Get in the car. Now, wait a minute, John. We can't leave now. Are you coming with me or not? John... Listen to me, John. You can't drive home now. I wouldn't stay here for a million dollars. You said yourself the tires were so thin you could see the tube. Who cares? I've got a spare in the trunk. No, you haven't. I took it out to make room for the vacuum cleaner. Blanche, you didn't. We're 50 miles from home. Do you realize what could happen without a spare tire? What was that? I don't know, but I hope I'm shot. Well, Blanche Bickerson's well-meant plan to spend a week in the country has turned into a nightmare. After wasting three hours trying to fix a blowout on his car, poor husband John has graciously accepted the Goosebys' snarling invitation to spend the night. Unfortunately, the sadly unequipped cabin leaves much to be desired in the way of sleeping accommodations. 
So the Bickersons have retired. John is sleeping with Leo Goosby on the porch, while Blanche doubles up with Gloria. Listen. Are you asleep, Gloria? No. Oh, I hate to impose on you this way. Are you sure you wouldn't rather double up with Leo? I'd sooner see Leo double up by himself. <laughs> John's not sleeping anyway. He's got the most awful condition, Gloria. He's some rare kind of insomnia and keeps us both awake all night. I can just see him lying in that strange bed with Leo, tossing and struggling to get... with you, John. Matter? What's the matter? What's the matter with you, Blanche? You look horrible. <laughs> I'm not Blanche. I'm Leo. Oh. Go to sleep, Leo. <laughs> I can't sleep. The only reason I'm in here is because I had a beef with Gloria. But if I had known that you'd snore like... Shh, shh. Not so loud, Leo. You'll wake up the dames. First thing you know, you'll have Blanche in here and then nobody will sleep. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you two get along either? Get along fine. I don't know. My whole marriage is one big beef. John, do you ever have words with your wife? Lots of them, but I never get a chance to use them. <laughs> Good night. Oh, nuts, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to sleep in my own room. It's me, Leo. I want to sleep in there. Won't it be too crowded? <laughs> you better go in with your husband, Blanche. He's blasting my ears off. Well, turn around while I put my robe on. I knew this setup was no good. Good night. What the devil's the matter with you, Leo? You keep waking me up like that nagging wife of mine. You're even beginning to look like it. What are you wearing that pink nightgown with... Blanche! What happened? Where's Leo? You blasted him out of here. Put out the light. I will not. I haven't closed my eyes. Close them. Hey, I'm worried about the animals at home. Hope you locked the back door. Cat got out three times last week. Cat won't get out tonight. Where'd you put him? In the birdcage. In the birdcage? Where's the canary? In the cat. John Pickett! Stop knocking yourself out. Nothing happened to the canary and the cat's fast asleep in the oven. Don't scare me like that. Are you sure all the animals are taken care of? I'm sure. Well, how about the fish bowl? Did you heat up the water for the new baby goldfish? I heated his water, gave him his pablum, burped him twice, and changed his diaper. Now, will you please put out the lights and let me sleep? <laughs> You'd have been asleep a long time ago if it hadn't been for your snoring. Can I help it if I snore? Yes, you can. Dr. Hersey says you snore because you have a long uvula and it flutters against your palate. 
Put out the lights. He says he can fix it with a very simple operation. Why don't you let him fix it, John? I'll go see him next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on, get up and let Dr. Hershey pull out your uvula. Are you out of your mind, Blanche? It's three o'clock in the morning, and I'm not going to let that broken-down horse doctor hack off my uvula. He doesn't hack, he slips. I don't care if he knocks it off with a hockey stick. <laughs> Nobody's going to fool around with my uvula. Put out the lights. Diane, come up here in your broken-down car. It's all your fault. My fault? You had some scheming pl- plan to rent this place. I said I didn't want to come. I spent the most miserable three hours in that room with Gloria. She talked so much, I, I got hoarse listening. <laughs> she kept trying to pry into our private affairs, but I told her off in no uncertain terms. Believe me, I was outspoken. I don't believe it. What do you mean? Nobody can outspeak you. <laughs> well, I have to talk sometimes. You do plenty of talking. You sure jabbered away with Gloria. Give anything to know what you were talking about. Blanche, they can hear you in the other room. I don't care. I saw you two at the dinner table playing footsies. Footsies? Yes, footsies. I wasn't playing footsies. I was reaching for my shoe under the table, and I accidentally brushed against Gloria's cap. What were you doing with your shoes off? I had a bottle of bourbon strapped to my leg, and I was trying to pull the cork out with my toes. Are you satisfied? that woman wore tonight. Sure to be arrested. But you loved it, didn't you? Now, don't start that. Anybody could look pretty with the money she spends on clothes. Every time Leo wants a kiss, he has to buy our new dress. Mm. Believe me, you're fortunate you've got a cheap wife like me. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I go out of my way to make myself attractive for you, but it's just a waste of time. It's been years since you paid me a compliment. Blanche, you're the most charming, gifted, beautiful, and sensible wife in the whole world. But you don't love me. I must love you. Who else would put up with you? <laughs> the way you talk, you think you saved me from being an old maid. Mm. I had more boyfriends than any of the girls in our crowd. Mm. I could have married any six of them. Yep. I had my pick. And they had their shovels. <laughs> they did not. They were the wealthiest, handsomest, most intelligent boys in town. Then why did you marry me? For spite. What'd you have to spite me for? Wasn't you, it was another man. Well, you killed two birds with one stone. All those promises you made. Before you married me, you told me you were well off. I was, but I didn't know it. I knew it. You're sorry you married me. I can see it in every word you utter. You hate me. Oh, I don't hate you. Well, you don't love me. You know I do. You never say it. I say it a million times a day. What do you want me to do? Carry a sign? Yes. Okay, I'll take my next week's salary and hire a skywriter to write the words in the sky. Honest, John? No, Madman Bickerson. <laughs> Leave me alone and let me go to sleep. I can't sleep. Why not? I'm never able to sleep in a strange place. I'll be up all night. All right. John, what are you doing? I'm packing. Get dressed. We're going home. Home? We can't go home. Why can't we? We have a flat tire and there's no spare. What do I care? We ride home on the rims. Come on, Blanche. Now, wait a minute, John. You're so tired you can't see straight. You might fall asleep at the wheel. Yeah. It's worth a try. We made it. Now we can get some sleep. 
Wait, John. Before you go in the house, just answer one question. Do you love me? Oh, Blanche. Please, I've got to know. Do you love me, John? Yes, I love you. Now, get the bags and let's go in. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who left that light burning in the living room? I didn't. Must be Prowlers. Prowlers? Yes. We better not go in there, John. Let's go to a hotel and sleep. They might be gone by the time we get back. If there's anyone in there, I'll take care of them. Give me that jack handle. No, wait, John. I might as well confess. I loaned the apartment to Barney for a poker game with a bunch of his pool room friends. What did you do that for? Don't scream at me. I didn't want to lend it to him. Barney talked me into it. He did, huh? Well, I'll take care of Barney and that bunch of bums. What are you going to do, John? I'm going to throw them out one by one. You stand here and start counting as they come flying out. One? Stop counting, Blanche. It's me. <laughs> Lou, before I forget, I've been meaning to invite you out to my house. Why don't you come over tomorrow and spend the day with us? Oh, thanks, Francis, but I can't make it tomorrow. You see, I've got a club meeting. Well, how about Thursday or Friday? Mm-mm, sorry, club meeting. Every day? Except Sunday and Monday. Well, what sort of a club is it, Lou? Well, just a bunch of fellas get together, and we pay our dues, and then go home. Sounds weird. If you pay dues every day, you must really have a beautiful clubhouse. You should see it. It's called Hollywood Park. <laughs> You're up in the neighborhood sometime. Drop in and see it. <laughs> Good night, Lou. Good night, Francis. Good night, everyone. And that's The Bickersons from July 10th, 1951, Going on Vacation, starring Lou Parker and Frances Langford, as heard on the CBS Radio Network. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's The Chase. Don't go away. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of January, you can digitally download The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Volume 1, featuring 12 detective episodes starring Jeff Chandler. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Volume 1, is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during January at 50% off is Our Miss Brooks, Volume 1, starring Eve Arden in 12 comedy episodes. Our Miss Brooks Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download The New Adventures of Michael Shane Volume 1 and Our Miss Brooks Volume 1 at half price. In February, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during January. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. While you're there, download an episode of Suspense absolutely free as our gift to you. ClassicRadioStore.com Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, it's time now for The Chase. This was a psychological drama, and the premise on this show was many life situations place their subjects in a chase of one type or another. A chase for fame, a chase from peril, a chase to beat the clock, a chase to escape death. The scripts were fast-paced and starred East Coast talent. It aired on radio beginning in 1952 and on television beginning 
beginning in 1953. It starred Ralph Bell, Larry Haynes, Carl Swenson, Santos Ortega, Mandel Kramer, and it was announced by Fred Collins. This broadcast is from December 14, 1952. It's called The Plans for the Perfect Murder. It stars Ivor Francis. Here's part one of The Chase. The National Broadcasting Company invites you by transcription to join The Chase. There is always the hunter and the hunted, the pursuer and the pursued. It may be the voice of authority or a race with death and destruction, the most relentless of the hunters. There are times when laughter is heard as counterpoint and moments when sheer terror is the theme. But always there is the chase. And who joins the chase as remorselessly as the man with murder in his heart? I record these events in my diary as they occurred. As a purge to my conscience, perhaps. But when it all began so many months ago, no man felt less beholden to his conscience than Gilbert Fox. It was on a grey November day in London that I decided to murder Frank Pickett. The name wasn't even known to me that morning as I awoke, bathed and dressed as usual, before leaving for my shop on Savile Row. But at 8.45, as I joined my wife Lavinia for breakfast in our flat, Frank Pickett became the one man on earth I hated and despised enough to kill. Good morning, Lavinia. Good morning. Breakfast ready? I'm a bit late today. I'm sorry you didn't wake me earlier. Sit down, Gilbert. Something I want to tell you. Oh. Will you pour me some tea, please? The tea can wait. Uh, what's the matter with you, Lavinia? Are you ill? No. You look upset. You'll find out why in just a moment if you let me speak. What's wrong, my dear? I'm leaving you. Oh, what? I'm leaving you, going away. I'm getting a divorce. Oh, there's no time of day for jokes, Lavinia. I'm not joking. I mean every word I say. When you return from work this afternoon, I shall be gone. But, but Why? What have I done? Nothing. We've only been married three months, Lavinia. This, this is unbelievable, incredible. It can't be true. But it is. But I, I love you madly, Lavinia. You know that. I've always known. And you, you said once that you'd loved me. Well, I was wrong. Wrong? I don't want to be melodramatic about this, and I'll try to be honest with you. When I married you, I thought this was what I wanted. A West End flat, a husband who adored me and who provided me with a fairly decent existence. But I was mistaken. Were you? I want more than this, Gilbert. And most of all, I want romance. I love that... Oh, how can I explain? You'd never understand. No, no. Please go on. I'll make it brief and to the point. I've met another man. I'm crazy about him, and he's very rich. I'm going to marry him after I get my divorce from you. I see. You... You wouldn't contest the divorce, would you? I get it in America. Then he's an American? Yes. What's his name? Well, that's not important. I want to know his name. Gilbert, you're hurting my arm. <sighs> when are you leaving? In about an hour. I won't see you again? No. You still won't tell me who the man is? Of course not. Very well, Lavinia. Goodbye. You're going? I'm uh, late for the shop, as it is. I'll, um, 
I'll only take my personal things. Everything else is yours, Gilbert. Everything else? What have I left? After you're gone. Gilbert. Goodbye, Lavinia. And good luck with your new romance. I'd always known, of course, that our love affair was one-sided. I loved my beautiful Lavinia with a passion that bordered on insanity. She was my life, my happiness, the very air I breathed. I had only dared to hope that she returned a small particle of that affection. And if she hadn't met this other man, I might have kept her with me forever. Oh, I knew I couldn't win her back, but I could do the next best thing to satisfy the sudden gnawing in my vitals. I could have the satisfaction of putting my rival in his grave. When I left our flat, I stepped outside and waited across the street. An hour later, Lavinia emerged, holding a suitcase, and hailed a cab. I waited until she stepped inside, hailed a second cab myself, and then followed her to a Strand Hotel. And I was only a few feet away from her when I heard her mention his name. Mr. Frank Pickett, please. Will you tell him Mrs. Forks is waiting in the lobby? For a moment, my blood rose, and my mouth grew dry and hot. Without thinking clearly, I turned and left the lobby. Then I hailed another cab. There was a shop I knew, a rather disreputable place in the shabby section of Soho, where, according to rumor, a man might purchase a variety of things. Help you, Governor? Uh, yes, if you will. I'm looking for a gun. A gun, Governor? A revolver, preferably a large caliber. It's against the law to sell firearms, Chappie. I uh, was sent here by a friend. He told me it was possible to buy almost anything from you. Yes, I... I guess it is. Providing you've got the funds, so to speak. I'll pay whatever you ask. Offer more, Governor. Now, here's a beauty. Italian make. And guaranteed. Guaranteed to what? To please, Governor. I don't know what you've got in mind, and I don't want to hear about it. But if it's workmanship you're looking for, this Beretta's your job. Um, how much? Fifty quid. Fifty? It would the ammo thrown in. That's an outrageous price. Then maybe you'd better buy your firearms from the police, Governor. No, wait. Wait, I, I'll take it. Uh, yeah. It's just for all the money I own. You're getting a bargain, Governor. No mistake about that. And happy ending. That's the first portion of The Chase. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to The Chase. I returned immediately to Frank Pickett's hotel with a revolver heavy in my pocket. I had no plan in mind except to meet him face to face and blow the top of his skull clear off his rotten head. Yes, sir? What room is Mr. Frank Pickett in, please? Mr. Pickett? Just a moment, sir. Mr. Pickett has just checked out. He did? 
Where did he go? He left no forwarding address. But he must have... I, I believe he took the boat train to Southampton. He's taking the Queen to New York. The next train to Southampton was two hours later. And as I paced the station platform, my seething, unreasonable hatred was matched only by my sense of frustration at having missed him. But I vowed I'd find him. I swore I'd kill him if I had to chase him to the very ends of the earth. And it looked as if I'd be forced to do just that, because the Queen was sailing out of the harbor as I finally reached the wharf. That was five years ago. And I lived those five years like a man sealed up in a cave. I worked, I ate, I slept mechanically. I did these things while I waited, waited for the chance to soothe my wounded pride. And while I waited, my mind grew more and more cunning. I saw how foolish my first impulse had been to meet him head on with a gun in my hand and a noose hanging over my head. There were other ways to skin this cat, and I studied them carefully. Miss? I'm looking for a book in the library catalogue. Uh, perhaps you can help me. What is the title, please? Uh, the Most Famous Murder Trials in History. Let me see. That would be under M for murder. Here we are. The catalogue number is 37X6. You'll find it on the last shelf over there, in the corner. Oh, uh, thank you. I'll find it. I pored over books on the art of murder in all its phases. I made criminology my passion and homicide my avocation. I read and reread countless volumes on the mistakes that had been made by murderers in the past. Only one thing was still unsettled in my mind, and that was the weapon. And on the day I discovered that, my quarry returned to England. Amiss? Yes, sir? I wish to renew this volume. Just one moment, sir. The use and effects of toxic poison. Very well, sir. You can keep the book for another two weeks. Uh, thank Hello. you. Hello, Lavinia. This is Frank. Uh, I'm at the library, yeah. Oh, there was some information I needed. Yeah, I signed the sir, lease to the house. Sir, You can move Lavinia? in this week. Your card. Oh, oh uh, yes. Yes, Lavinia. Thank you. Yeah. I settled everything with the agent, too. It's the house you wanted. <laughs> Number 17, Brighton Road. You you can see it this afternoon, if you like. Uh, look, when you call the agent, just tell him you're Frank Pickett's wife. He was at an open-pay telephone. A big man with a rather handsome face. He must have been about 45... It was an incredible coincidence, and yet somehow I always knew it would happen. I'd been notified of our divorce almost five years before, and I'd received Lavinia's final note saying they intended to live in America for good. But I knew I'd get my chance. I was sure of it. And now Pickett had fallen right into my hands like an overripe plum. One week later... I appeared at 17 Brighton Road. It was a large house, ostentatious. He was evidently very rich. I watched the house from the outside for three full days, and late the fourth afternoon, 
my patience was rewarded. For the service door opened, and a housemaid stepped out, holding a poodle dog on a leash. I followed her across the street into a little park, where I saw her sit down on a bench and take out a cigarette. I say, uh, may I offer you a light? And who may you be? Um, uh, Charles Brooks is my name. Never heard of you. But, uh, I've been watching you. You have? Uh, please, now, don't be alarmed. I, um, I live nearby, across the street. I've seen you come and go from the big brown house over there, and, uh, well, I've been anxious to know just who you are. Uh, I think you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, uh, Miss... Uh, you're a queer one, you are. Please, may I sit down? Have a seat, Mr. Brooks. My name's... Eliza. She was stupid and vain, and she suited my plans to perfection. I was careful when I met her, knowing that Lavinia could recognize me. But within a week, I knew as much about Pickett's daily routine as he knew himself. And I was finding Eliza a very helpful, if innocent, accomplice. I can spend the rest of the afternoon with you, Charlie. The missus is going away. Is she? Well. She's taken two weeks in Paris to do some shopping. She's the lucky one, all right. Married to a man with a million quid. Some women are just born with a silver spoon. Um, when is uh, Mrs. Pickett leaving, Eliza? She's gone already, and a good thing, too. There was an awful row inside the house this afternoon. The master gave Edward the sack. Edward? You mean Mr. Pickett's valet? Yes. He's been taking one nip too many from the master's liquor closet. I'm glad he's gone. Has uh, Mr. Pickett employed anyone yet to take his place, Eliza? Not that I know of. Then will you put in a good word for me? You? Yes, yes, I'd like the job. But you told me you were a clerk, not a gentleman's gentleman, Charlie. I can do both, Eliza. And besides, I'll be closer to you. Is that why you want the job, Charlie? Of course. You're sweet, lovey. All right. I'll put in a word for you as soon as I go back. I'll tell Mr. Pickett you're my cousin. He likes me, I think. And it ought to clinch it for you, Charlie. You have no idea how much this means to me. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. The next day, Eliza informed me that Pickett would grant me an interview. At last, I stood before him in his ornate drawing room. Face to face with the one man I despise most in all this world... My fingers itched to grasp his throat. And it was only with a desperate effort that I prevented myself from squeezing the life out of him then and there. Oh, yes. Your name Brooks? Uh, yes, sir. Yes. Liza told me you were looking for a position as a valet. I am, sir. I've been a gentleman's gentleman for the past ten years. Mm -hmm. And I can say, sir, in all modesty... That my references are more than satisfactory. Ah? Well, what are they? I have written references in my quarters, Mr. Pickett, from the Earl of Halstead, for whom I worked during the war. Oh, that's so. And before that time, I was employed by the Duke of Sandrews uh -huh. and the Marquis... Okay, of... well, that's all right. I'm convinced. What salary do you want, hmm? Uh, what salary do you offer, Mr. Pickett? Well, I'll give you $45. Um, that's 15 pounds a week. Is that all right? You're bored, of course. Well, that is eminently satisfactory, Mr. Pickett. When shall I start, sir? Now. Now. He said it so casually. And yet, if he knew, it was like a man who was inaugurating his own last rites. 
I had two weeks before Lavinia was to return. Two weeks before I could be recognized. But I was certain that Mr. Frank Pickett Esquire would never live to see the end of those two weeks. My plan was simple. In my years of research, I had discovered a toxic poison which was completely soluble in any liquid and it was also tasteless. Moreover, its effect was rapid. And in any medical examination that did not involve a complete post-mortem, the primary cause of death appeared to be acute heart failure. My only problem would be to get it into his food in some way. And there was always my stupid ostrich-faced Eliza to unwittingly help me on that score. Evening, Eliza. Oh, it's you, Charlie. Um, is the master eating upstairs tonight? He's not feeling too well, and I'm taking this tray of food up to him. Now, out of my way, if you please. I'm in a hurry. No, Eliza, that's not very nice. Isn't it? Well, why are you being so short with me? Why? You're asking why? After the way you've been treating me? Since you got this job, you've been avoiding me like the plague. And I've got me pride, I'll have you know. Put down that tray. I, I, I want to talk to you. The master's waiting. Eliza, put it down. Well? Now then, look at me. I won't. Come along now. Turn that pretty face of yours and look into my eyes. Oh, Charlie. When you kiss me like that, Charlie, I could almost die. My dear, so could I. All right. Now, out of me way. The master's waiting for his dinner. Oh, yes, uh, bring it up to him, Eliza. And be careful with the tray. Don't drop it. It was while I kissed her that I managed to plant the poison, a soft white powder. And as I shook it over a small hamburger patty on one of the plates, I kept Eliza's mouth pressed to mine and her eyes averted. She returned about five minutes later and her tray was empty. Everything all right, Eliza? How do you mean, Charlie? Is the master's appetite up to snuff? He's as hungry as an horse he is. And he was grumpy with me, too, because I brought up his tray a little late. But now I've got more time for you, Charlie. I suppose I help you with those dishes. Why, Charlie, how nice of you. It'll be just like... Just as if we were in our own home, won't it? Our own little love nest, so to speak. Uh, yes. I'll wash and you dry, Charlie. Right, huh? You know, Charlie, some people have more cheek, especially Americans. Oh, I'd say they're rather nice people on the whole, once you get to know them. Well, this one's as spoiled as they come, I can tell you that. Oh, why? Well, take that hamburger, for instance. Uh, the one you brought up to him tonight? Imagine him having that sent up, with the meat being so short here and rationed and all. Well, if Mr. Pickett enjoys a bit of hamburger now and then, you can't deny him. If he enjoyed it, I wouldn't talk. What do you mean? That hamburger I just brought up was for Mrs. Pickett's poodle dog. Charlie, you dropped a plate. Excuse me, Eliza. I'll be back in just a moment. There's something important I just remembered. Upstairs. I raced up the staircase three at a time with my heart beating like a trip hammer and my head in a whirl. His dog. If this dog took that poison, he'd keel over inside of three minutes and the investigation would destroy any further chance I had to get a picket. As I reached the door, I had to command all my self-control to restrain myself from bursting in without knocking. 
I pulled myself together at the last moment and kept my head. Come in. Excuse me, sir, but uh, I, I wanted to know if there was anything you wished before you retired. Mm, no. No, nothing. Thank you. Is the dinner satisfactory? Good enough. What, what are you looking for? Sir? Why are you looking around the room in that silly way? Well, I uh, missed your poodle, sir. I was wondering oh, if... Oh, he'll had... be around as soon as he gets hungry. That hamburger steak on the floor is for him. Uh, yes, I see it, sir. And uh, I see it hasn't been touched. Yeah, hamburger for a dog. If I had my way... What are you doing? I'll find the poodle and give this to him, Mr. Pickett. Don't bother. Oh, don't bother at all, sir. Well, <laughs> what makes you so concerned about that ridiculous hound, Brooks? Oh, well, sir, I, um, I've always had a soft spot for animals, and I rather like him, if I may say so, sir. Well, there's no accounting for taste, is there? All right, feed him if you want it. It's all right with me. My luck stayed with me. And as I dumped the poison mess into the garbage, I breathed a sigh of relief. But now I had to wait for another opportunity to put an end to Pickett's career. And once again it came to me, through Eliza's innocent help. A package was delivered on the following day from a confectioner's downtown. It was a chocolate assortment. And as I unwrapped the package, I realized that my second chance had come. What you doing, Charlie? Oh, oh I, I'm just uh, unwrapping this package. It arrived a few minutes ago. Oh, chocolate. Uh, yes. It's got a sweet tooth, that one. The chocolates are for Mr. Pickett? Naturally. I thought they uh, might have been for his wife. He likes to eat candy when he reads in bed, just before he turns in for the night. <sighs> I do, too, but I've got to keep an eye on this figure. And a lovely figure it is, Eliza. You think so? Decidedly. You certainly talk like a top, you do. <laughs> but I like it, Charlie. You sound like a real gentleman. Um, what shall we do with these chocolates, Liza? I'd like to sink my teeth in, and that's what. But the best thing to do is to leave them on the night table next to his bed. I'll put them there myself. Is he, uh, coming home for dinner this evening? No, he's dining out, he said. But I expect he'll be back pretty early. The mistress is coming home. She is. When? This evening. How do you know? She phoned this afternoon while you were gone. I heard him speak to her. She got tired of Paris, I guess. She'll be back by nine, she said. Nine? And it's seven now. Lavinia. Lavinia was coming back. There was no time for delicacies like poison chocolates now. I had to act. And to act fast. I stepped over to the liquor closet and opened the bar. The highball glasses caught my eye, so I slipped a heavy dose of the poison powder into the nearest glass and then closed the bar. And then I waited as the minutes ticked by for Frank Pickett to return and drink a toast to his own demise. Good evening, Miss Pickett. Ah, oh, good evening, Brooks. Your coat, sir. Yeah. Would you like a drink, sir? Uh, no, I don't think so, thanks. Uh, uh, whiskey and soda, perhaps, sir? No, I don't. Well, well, all right, yeah, I think I could use one. I'll make it myself. Well, allow me, sir. Say when, sir. Uh, that's enough, that's enough. Very good, sir. Oh, uh, look, that, that must be Mrs. Pickett. Answer the door, Brooks, will you? 
door, sir? Yeah. Why are you standing there like an idiot? Let my wife in. Uh, of course, Mr. Pickett. I stepped into the best fuel, my hands as cold as ice. Once Lavinia caught sight of me, the game was over. I placed my hand on the knob, turned it, and quickly stepped behind the door, out of sight as it opened. She marched in without giving me a single glance and went straight for the drawing room. But my Lavinia, my beautiful Lavinia, had completely changed. Well, I'm back. Say something. Yes, well... What do you want me to say? Nothing. All you've ever said as long as I've known you. You, uh, been drinking again. Well, what of it? You want a divorce because of that? <laughs> you wanted a divorce for a long, long time, haven't you? Well, try and get it, my precious American prize. Just try and get it. Lavinia, you know how, how unreasonable you can get when you're drinking. Oh, Lavinia. shut up. Hard of hearing that same old lie. Oh, right. You don't like the way I drink, divorce me. But first you'll settle a million quid on me, loving spouse. One million and not a farthing less. Oh, easy. Going to bed. As I looked at her and listened, something happened to me. I I discovered I didn't hate Pickett's any longer. I even started to feel sorry for him. And then I felt a sort of exultation. I found myself indebted to Pickett for taking her off my hands. And then suddenly, suddenly I remembered the highball I'd given him. The poison drink. And I rushed into the room just as he was raising it to his lips. Mr. Pickett! What? You fool, are you crazy? You knocked that glass right out of my hand. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I, uh, I don't think I'm a very efficient gentleman's gentleman after all, and perhaps I'd better tender my resignation. Oh, you're just as crazy as my wife. Old darn world's crazy. It's all out of kilter. And I gotta put up with it all. I'm sorry, sir. At one time, I thought that only I was unlucky. But now I see how better off I really am. What are you talking about? Nothing, sir. Nothing of importance anymore. I think I'll pack my things and leave, Mr. Pickett. But first, let me mix you another whiskey and soda. The one that I'm most certain you'll enjoy, sir. Much more than you would have. The last one. In the animal world, there is the hunter and the hunted. Hound and fox, hawk and sparrow, cat and mouse. We in the topmost species have also joined the hunt. But who is to judge precisely which of us are hounds or foxes as we enter the chase? The Chase was created and written for the National Broadcasting Company by Lawrence Cleave. Featured in today's cast was Ivor Francis, with Kathleen Cordell, June Peel, 
Stotts Cotsworth and John Stanley. The chase is directed and transcribed by Fred Way. Fred Collins speaking. Next week, greed and ambition become the driving forces when the sound of murder is heard on The Chase. Tonight, it's adventure with counter-spy Dragnet and Barry Craig on NBC. And that's The Chase from December 14, 1952, with plans for the perfect murder, starring Ivor Francis. Also in the cast, John Stanley and Stotts Cotsworth. Stotts Cotsworth was Casey Crime Photographer on Radio Lisa Wolf. Did you know that? I think you did. You have a big poster of Stotts Cotsworth. You know what? Cotsworth. You've taught me well over the years. Uh, in your bedroom, don't you? Uh, it's on the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Picture of Stotts. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Stotts Cotsworth. All right. Well, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's my favorite radio show, Lisa and Mike, Boston Blackie. You won't want to miss that. We'll also tune into the Halls of Ivy, Dimension X, the Screen Director's Playhouse, Duffy's Tavern, and Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Quite a lineup next week. Be with us uh, from my team here at Hollywood 360. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. <laughs> 